Stamps.com. Postage on demand. Print your own postage and shipping labels in seconds. Click instantly buy and calculate exact postage. Print, print postage, labels, envelope, or plain paper. Mail a fixed postage and mail anywhere in the world. Give Stamps.com a try. Get $5 of free postage. Check out for details on Stamps.com. Corporate postage solutions have more than two locations. The Stamps.com Enterprise is postage solution for you. Shipping solutions process and print shipping labels fast. Enjoy shipping discounts and more. Stamps.com versus postage meters. The choice is clear. Stamps.com offers more features at a fraction of the cost. Approved licensed vendor of USPS. Save big with discounted rates from USPS and UPS. Stamps.com is an independent vendor of the USPS and UPS. Here's how it works. Open Stamps.com account. Simply click the Get Started button to sign up for Stamps.com and get access to all the services of the postal right from your computer 24-7. Even get discounts you can't get at the post office. Try that with $5 free postage. Stamps.com will give you four weeks to see if they are right for you. Stamps.com is so confident you'll like them. You'll also throw on and Throw in $5 free postage to use during the four weeks. Don't pay unless you stay. Cancel your account online or call 1-855-608-2677 to cancel within the four-week trial period and pay no service fee. The monthly fee for it is just $17.99 plus applicable taxes. If any, including the first month, your service will continue uninterrupted as long as you got as long as you do not cancel. Your 24-7 post office. Send invoices, letters, packages, print official UPS postage, UPS, USPS postage, domestic or international, no more guesswork, how much postage, what mail, class, stamps.com will figure it out for you. You can limit trips to the post office, anything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk 24-7. Do more than a postage meter for less, avoid hidden fees, equipment, insurance, and there's no extra hardware to buy or lease. Better pay full price for stamps again. Get postage discounts you can't even get at the post office. Customer support, always ready to help. Available by phone, email, or chat. Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. PT. Not just for small office mailing, mailing locations, solutions, shipping solutions, and warehouse solutions. Today's true crime story is the two box killers, Lars Pritiker and Roy Norris, part two. Confession. On November 30th, 1979, Norris attended a preliminary hearing in relation to the September 30th rape. By this stage, Norris would begin to display visible signs of stress. After, hear- after hearing Norris waived his Miranda rights before Detective Bynum and Deputy District Attorney Stephen Kay began questioning him initially in relation to the rape of Robin Robeck, then in relation to the statements given to police by Joseph Jackson and the evidence recovered from his and Bittaker's residences. Initially, Norris flatly denied any involvement in any murders, rapes, or disappearances. However, when confronted with the evidence and evidence complied, compiled, Norris began to confess, although he did attempt to portray Bittaker as being more culpable in the murders than himself. In what Bonnie McKay later described as a casual, unconcerned manner, Norris 
The law said he and Biddy had been in the habit of traveling around areas such as the Pacific Coast Highway and randomly approaching girls whom they found attractive with offers of a ride, posing with a pair for photographs or marijuana. Most of those whom they approached had rejected whatever given Ruth Bittaker Norris used to entice them into the van, although four girls accepted lifts from the pair and had been murdered with the fifth victim to their first grab being grabbed by force. Inside the van, the girls would typically be overpowered, bound and foot, bound hand and foot, gagged with and driven to locations deep within the San Gabriel Mans where they would be sexually assaulted by both men, then usually killed by strangulation with a wire coat hanger, although two of the victims had had ice picks driven into the ears before being strangled. North admitted to bludgeoning their youngest victim lamp about the head with a sledgehammer as Bittaker strangled her and admitted to repeatedly striking Shirley Ledford upon the elbow with a sledgehammer before strangling her to death. The bottles of acid found at Bittaker's hotel, Nora stated, were intended for use upon the next victim they abducted and the acts of torture and humiliation had been committed against their victims for fun. According to Nora, the level of brutality Bittaker had lived toward their victims had increased on each successive instance they had successfully lured a girl into the van. Their final victim, Ledford, had actually pleaded to be killed in order to, that her agony could cease. Additional details by Norris provided further corroborate evidence to support his confessions. For example, he knew that the first victim, Schaefer, had left a meeting at a Presbyterian church shortly before she was abducted, and that Schaefer had lost one shoe as she had been dragged into Bittaker's van. Norris also knew part of Shirley Lefford's ancestry was Hispanic and that Bittaker had unsuccessfully asked her to date him prior to October 1979. In a press statement related to the police investigation to the murders issued on February 7, 1980, Los Angeles County Sheriff Peter Pitches stated the victims had been subjected to sadistic and barbaric abuse, adding that five charges of first-degree murder would be sought against both Bittaker and Norris. Sheriff Pitches also stated that in relation to the poor Lord Pitches found in Bittaker and Norris's apartment, police had located 60 of the young women depicted, none of whom had been harmed. Nonetheless, Pitches also stated that police had also identified 19 of the women depicted in the pictures being individuals who had been reported missing and that the teenage these teenage girls and young women may well have been murdered along, although Pitches did stress that they had no conclusive evidence to suggest that these additional 1940s had fallen victim to Bittaker and Norris. One of the images depicted in the Polaroid pictures seized from Bittaker and Norris depicts an unidentified white young white woman along with Bittaker and Norris in circumstances very similar to the Pitches found depicting known victims how Lamp and Gilliam. The young woman in the pictures never has never been re- identified. This photograph has indicated that there may have been one further victim whom neither Whitaker or Norris have mentioned have ever mentioned to investigators. Search of the San Gabriel Mountains. The San Gabriel Mountains, Whitaker and Norris murdered and discarded the bodies of four of the victims at this location. Norris was able to lead investors to the bodies of two of the four victims where he and Bittaker had murdered at this location. Norris agreed to return to the San Gabriel Bound to search for the bodies of the girls who, to whose abduction and murder he had confessed to assisting in. 
And Yosef's daughter's pot brought to take us to the area where he and Bideker had disposed of the victim's blood. Despite extensive searches of the areas where he stated the bodies of Schaefer and Hall had been discarded, the bodies were never found. On February 9, 1980, the skeletalized bodies of Lamp and Gilead were found at the bottom of a canyon alongside a dried riverbed. The bodies were scattered over an area measuring hundreds of feet in diameter. An iceberg was still lodged in the skull of Gilead and the skull of Lamp for multiple indentations, evidence of the numerous hammer blows Norris had stated he inflicted. In February 1980, Norris and Bideker were formally charged with the murder of the five girls. At the arraignment, Bideker was denied bail, whereas Norris' bail was set at $10,000. Within one month of his being charged with murder, Norris had accepted a plea bargain in which he would testify against Bideker in return for the prosecution, agreeing not to seek the death penalty against him. Guilty plea at March 18, 1980. Norris pleaded guilty to four counts, <coughs> to four counts of first-degree murder, one count of second-degree murder in relation to victim Hall, two counts of rape, <coughs> and one count of robbery. Formal sentencing was postponed until May 7th. <coughs> in return for Norris agreeing to plead guilty and to testify against Bittaker, Prosecutors had agreed to seek neither death by nor life without parole at the outcome of the sentencing hearing. March's May 7th, Norris was reviewed by a probation officer who testified at sentencing that Norris had again accused Bittaker of the actual torture of the victims. <coughs> and that for Norris himself, the feeling of power and the dominance he had over the victims was the main overriding factor as opposed to having sexual intercourse with them. The probation officer added that Norris never exhibited any remorse or compassion <coughs> about his brutal acts towards the victims. The defendant appears compulsive, compulsive in his need to inflict pain and torture upon women. In conclusion, the, the probation officer testified that Norris can realistically be guarded as an extreme sociopath whose depraved pattern of behavior is beyond re rehabilitation. On May 7, 1980, Norris was sentenced to 45 years to life imprisonment with eligibility for parole from 2010. Arraignment On April 24, 1980, Bittaker was a total of 29 charges of kidnapping, rape, sodomy, and murder, <coughs> in addition to various charges of criminal conspiracy and possession of a firearm. He was also charged with two counts of conspiracy to commit murder dating from December 1979, in which he had unsolicited attempted to persuade two inmates due to be released to murder Robin Robick in order to prevent her from testifying against him at his upcoming trial. The charges for the rape of Robin Robick would later be dropped because of a lack of physical evidence as well as Robick's failure to identify her attackers in a lineup. And asked by Judge William Hollingworth as to how he pleaded Bittaker remained silent, refusing to answer any questions in response, the judge entered a plea of not guilty on his behalf. Trial Bittaker's trial began on January 19, 1991. He was tried in Torrance before Judge Thomas Fredericks. The star witness to appear for the prosecution as, at the trial of Bittaker was Norris, who began his testimony on January 22. Norris testified as to how he became acquainted with Bittaker in jail and how the pair had formulated a plan to 
kidnapped, raped, and killed teenage girls responding to the questions from the prosecutor North stated that in June 1979 he had intended to abduct and raped a woman who escaped and hung and he informed Bideker of this incident. They both agreed to act together on all future abductions. North then chronologically recounted for the court the details of each of the five murders he and Bideker had committed in addition to the September 3rd, 1979 rape of Robeck, the attempted abduction of a woman named Jan Malin, which had also occurred on September 30th, and the attempted abduction of an unidentified young woman on September 27th. In reference to the actual murders, Norris stated that after he attempted to strangle Schaefer, Bittiger had strangled her with a wild coat hanger. There, the pair had then thrown her body into a location at or near the San Dimas Canyon. In reference to the murder of Hall, Norris stated that he had been told by Bittiger to drive to a nearby store to purchase alcohol when Hall was murdered, after which he returned to find Bittiger smiling, holding a polar pictures he had taken of Hall after informing her he, he intended to kill her. With reference to Vigil's lamp and Gilliam, Norris stated that the two girls were held captive for over a day before being murdered, adding that Bittaker had killed Gilliam before he himself bludgeoned Lamp about the head and as Bittaker strangled her when discussing the abuse and torture of Ledford. Norris stated he had, upon the assistance of Bittaker, committed the actual murder of Ledford, adding Bittaker had informed him that I should kill her because I hadn't killed anyone yet. I knew this was coming, so I agreed. Norris then confessed to having killed Loverford by strangling her with a coat hanger, which he had tightened with pliers in much the same manner Bittiger had with previous victims, Schaefer and Lamp. Norris then stated the pair had driven to Sunland, where he discarded Shirley Ledford's body upon the front lawn as Bittiger waited in his van. Several witnesses testified as to Bittiger having shown them pictures of the victims. He had retained as keepsakes and which had been found in his hotel. One witness, a 17-year-old neighbor of Bittaker's named Christina Drow, testified that Bittaker had shown her a polar picture he had taken again before stating, The girls I get won't walk anymore. Another witness to testify was an angel named Lloyd Douglas who had shared a jail cell with Bittaker following his November 1979 arrest. Douglas testified that Bittaker had discussed in detail the torture he had inflicted on the victims Gilliam and Ledford, stating, Bittiger had been, Bittiger had informed him he had stabbed one of Gilliam's breasts with an ice pick, which he then twisted as the tool remained inserted in the wound. He had also pinched Gilliam on the legs and breast with a vice grip before tearing up part of, of one nipple. Douglas also stated Bittiger had informed him he had pulled on the genitals and breasts of Shirley Ledford with the same instrument and that he had attempted to beat her breast back into her chest. The defense contended that Norris was the actual perpetrator of the murders that, and that Bittiger had only became aware of Norris's activities shortly before his arrest when Norris had informed him he had murdered several girls with whom they had been encountered and engaged in sexual activities. To support their case, the defense produced a friend of Norris named Richard Schutman, who testified as to Norris repeatedly divulging to him his desire to rape young girls. Shipman also testified that Norris informed him that, that the look of shock and fear on the face of a young girl was a prime sexual stimulus for him. In support of Bittiger's case, the defense also harked to the Polaroid images taken of the facial expressions of Hall and of Bittiger's statements as to Norris's 
revelations to ridicule regarding his primary, his prime sexual mutilations of both were incarcerated at the California Men's Colony in 1977. The most damning evidence presented at Bittigan's trial was a 17-minute section of, of the audio tape that Pear had created at Ledford's abuse and torment. torment. The audio tape, which had been found inside Bittigan's van and which Norris had earlier testified Bittigan had repeated played as he drove in the weeks prior to his arrest, adding that Bittigan considered the contest to be real funny was presented evidence on January 29th of Stephen K. forewarning the jury, for those of you who do not know what hell is like, you will find out. Judge Fredericks had early denied motions by the defense to omit the tape recording from admission as evidence. More than 100 people were present in the courtroom as the tape was played, and many members of both jury and the audience wept openly upon hearing the contents, with several members of the audience either burying their heads in their hands, dabbing tears from their eyes, or rushing out of the courtroom before the tape had finished. Bittaker was undisturbed at hearing the contents of the tape, smiling throughout the hearing of their recording. In one of the two instances throughout the trial, when Prosecutor Stephen Kay was reduced to tears, he walked out of the courtroom during recess following the hearing of the recording of Ledford's rape, abuse, and torture. Weeping openly, Kay stated that to the reporters gathered outside the courtroom, everybody who has heard that tape has had it affect their lives. I just pictured those girls, how alone they were when they died. When questioned by reporters as to whether the audio tape should have been introduced into evidence, given the obvious psychological and emotional trauma caused to many in the courtroom through the content being broadcast, Case simply stated, you're darn right, it, the audio tape should have been, the jury needs to know what these guys did. On February 5, 1980, when Bittigan testified on his own behalf, Bittigan denied any knowledge in the abduction and murder of Schaefer and claimed he had paid Hall to pose for Polaroid photos depicting her found at his Burbank Motel after Hall had agreed to his offer of $200 for sex. She then claimed Norris walked Hall into the San Gabriel Mountains before returning alone and informed Bittigan he had told Hall to find her own way home. Bittigan had a similar expression as to the Double murder of Lamp and Gilliam. He claimed Gilliam had accepted an offer for money, of money for sex and posing for pictures, and that he had left Cinderella alone with Norris in his GMC van. With regards to the murder of Pudford, he claimed she had agreed to theatrically scream for the tape recorder, that and that she was not tortured in his presence. But he had been left alone with Norris. Closing arguments. Biggest trial lasted for over three weeks on February 9, 1981. The prosecution and defense court counsels began their closing arguments and closing arguments delivered by both the prosecution. Kay apologized to the jury that he was only a, that he was only asking for the death penalty, adding that he wished the law permitted him to request that the same suffering be inflicted upon Bittiger that he had inflicted upon his victims. Kay then described Bittiger as an excuse for a man as he held a law pictures of each of the five murdered girls before the jury. Seeking the death penalty for Bittiger, Kay referred to the case as one of the most shocking, brutal cases in the history of American crime before adding, if the death penalty is not appropriate in this case, then it will never be. In his own closing argument before the jury, Deputy District Attorney C. Randolph Ramsey discredited Bittiger's claims that the con that contrary to Norris' testimony, Shirley, Len Shirley Lynette Ledford had agreed to scream, weep, and plead for mercy theatrically for the tape recording, introduces evidence stating to the jury, you've 
heard the sounds on the tape, Miss Ledford screaming, yelling, don't touch me, no, 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 no. The tape should be su sufficient corroboration by itself. Defense Attorney Albert Garber requested the jury discount the testimony of Norris, arguing in favor of Vinegar's claim that Norris had committed the actual murders and claiming the testimony of the prosecutors throughout the trial amounted to little more than a bloodlust, adding that the prosecution had repeatedly recited the core details of the murders. Garber parked to the early testimony that of a psychologist named Michael Maloney, who had testified that Vinegar's inability to impress empathize with other people's feelings and emotions in addition to the fact that with the exceptions of Bittaker's night sniper stabbing of Gary Louie, all of Bittaker's previous criminal convictions were for non-violent offenses. offenses. The defense also claimed that insufficient corroborative existence existed to convict Bittaker. They, Bittaker, and Norris lacked the internal prohibitions or conscience that keep most of us from giving full expression to our most primitive and sometimes violent impulses. February 17, 1981, after deliberating for three days, the jury found Bittaker guilty of five counts of first-degree murder, one charge of conspiracy to commit first-degree murder, five charges of kidnapping, nine charges of rape, two charges of forceful oral, oral copulation, one charge of sodomy, and three charges of unlawful possession of a firearm. Deliberation as to whether Bittaker should be sentenced to death or life without parole began February 19th. The jury deliberated for just 90 minutes before returned with their verdict. Bittiger was sentenced to death for the five counts of first-degree murder upon which the prosecution sought this penalty. He showed no remorse as the verdict was delivered. Superior Court Judge Thomas Fredrickson, Fredrickson then ordered Bittiger to appear in court on March 24th performing sentencing. On March 24th, in accordance with the jury verdict, Bittaker was formally sentenced to death. In the event that the sentence imposed was ever reverted to life imprisonment, Judge Thomas Fredericks imposed an alternative sentence of 199 years, four months, imprisonment to take immediate effect. Imprisonment and appeals. Bittaker appealed his conviction and sentencing, citing procedural errors such as the validity of how warrants used to authorize the search of his van and motel room, the dismissal by the judge of a woman initially hired at the stage of jury selection to advise the defense counsel in matters related to, to jury views upon the death penalty. Nonetheless, Bittaker's appeal was dismissed on June 22, 1989, with the court ruling that any procedural errors were minor and in viewing the strong evidence against Bittaker did not affect the overall verdict. An initial execution date for Bittaker was set for December 29, 1989. Bittaker appealed this decision, although on June 11, 1990, the U.S. Supreme Court upheld the decision that he be executed. A renewed execution date was scheduled for July 23, 1991, Bittaker again appealed the decision of the U.S. Supreme Court that he would he be executed and was granted a further stay of execution on July 9, 1991. Bittaker remained incarcerated on, on death row at San Quentin State Prison until his death in December 2019. Aftermath, Bittaker granted several death row interviews following his 1981 conviction. He never expressed any remorse for his crimes, repeatedly stating the only remorse he felt had been for the fact that he and Norris were arrested, thus ruining his own life, despite the fact Bittaker considered his life had been a wasted one. He also marveled that he and Norris had 
Little in common before their acquaintance at the California Men's Colony in San Luis Obispo in 1997 before adding that they had one hell of a lot in common now. In reference to one of the implements she, he and Norris had used to torture and murder the victims, Bittaker responded to letters received with the nickname Flyers Bittaker. While incarcerated, Bittaker filed more than 40 frivolous lawsuits over issues as trivial as his being served a broken cookie and crushed sandwiches by the prison cafeteria, which he cited as an example of his being subject to cruel, unusual punishment. <coughs> Bittaker was declared a vexatious, vexatious litigant in 1993. As a result of this declaration, he was not allowed to file a lawsuit without the express permission of attorney or judge. Bittaker died while incarcerated on death row at San Quentin State Prison on December 13, 2009. At the age of 79, his death reported as being due to natural causes. Nor was incarcerated at the Richard J. Donovan Correction Facility. He died of natural causes at the California Medical facility on February 24, 2020, at the age of 72, having been transferred to this facility one week prior to his death. Since his conviction, he repeatedly claimed the sole reason he put in the murders was out of fear of Bittaker. Norris also claimed to have twice contemplated confessing to his and Bittaker's facility in the murders to the police. He also claimed to have such deterred three potential victims from entering Bittaker's van. Although Norris readily admitted that he enjoyed the actual intercourse with the victims, he claimed only Bittaker enjoyed the act of torture and murdering, stating, I didn't enjoy killing. That was Lawrence Bittaker. It was his favorite part, watching the women struggle to live, knowing that he'd soon be taken life away. Both visit and psychologists stated Norris derived extreme gratification from the domination, abuse, and torture inflicted upon the victims. The, the respected parties have also harked towards Norris' extensive history of physical and sexual violence against women prior to is meeting Bittaker and his repeated instances of denial of culpability for his actions. Norris initially became ineligible for, eligible for parole in 2009. Norris declined to attend the parole hearing, thereby automatically deferring his parole eligibility for another 10 years. He was denied parole again in 2019 and died while still early the following year. Stephen Kay, the president at Bittaker's trial, still considers the murders committed by Bittaker and Norris as being the worst criminal case he has ever prosecuted. One accountant remained insistent in his belief that prior to Bittaker's death via natural causes, he had been more deserving of being executed than any other intimate incarcerated on death, California's death row. In interviews, he has stated that for over two years following the trial of Lawrence Bittaker, his sleep was disturbed by recurring nightmares of which he would be rushing to Bittaker's van to prevent harm coming to the girls, but he would always Get there too late. Paul Bonner, the chief visitor of the murders committed by Bittaker and Norris, committed suicide in December 1987. He was 39 years old. In the 10-page suicide note, Bonner specifically re- referred to the murders committed by Bittaker and Norris as haunting him and of his fear they may be released from prison. The other case, Bittaker and the article said Bittaker and Norris created of themselves Raping and torturing leper remains in possession of the FBI Academy. This recording is now used to train as desensitized FBI agents to the raw reality of torture and murder. Media film. The 2012 documentary, the film, documentary film The Devil and the Death Penalty focuses upon the murders committed by Bittaker and Norris in addition to issues related to the death penalty appeal process in California. Key is among those interviewed by the director. Bibliography. 
Along with the Devil, Psychopath Killings That Shocked the World, written by Ronald Marksman and Dominic Fosco, ISBN 0749910X. The Encyclopedia Serial Kills, written by Brian Lane, Brian Lane and Wilfred Craig, ISBN 9780747253617. Television. A 1980 document, The Killing of America, features a section devoted to the trial of Bideker. The current Daniels series of Terrence Central has broadcast an episode detailing the murders committed by Bideker and Norris. This episode was initially broadcast in October 2000. The Investigation Discovery Channel had broadcast a documentary for focusing upon the murders committed by Bideker and Norris. This documentary titled Wicked Attraction it was initially broadcast in August 2009. Thank you for listening to this horrific trial murder. Uh, murder, rape, and torture. Have a good week and stay safe.